In Acts 20, as I said, Paul does something a little bit different um, as he is making this journey. There's a map again of everywhere he's been going, planting churches as he goes. And now he's headed back to Jerusalem. He's taken up an offering to give to the church in Jerusalem, many throughout the provinces that he was a part of, and what would be Greece nowadays, what would be uh, Turkey nowadays, uh, people that they've never met, they're given um, offering to to help support in the city of Jerusalem. And so Paul's taking that, trying to get back to Jerusalem by a certain time, and so he's making a bunch of stops to do that, where we find him um, in Acts 20 is down here. He'll start up here in Macedonia and kind of make his way down here in what's called Miltus, which is a part of Turkey. And there is where we have him gathered with other leaders from this city, which is called Ephesus, where he spent a pretty uh, great deal of time, as we'll hear in this uh, part in Acts, where he planted a church and just he lived there for about three years and uh, served them in various capacities um, in Ephesus. But he didn't stop there for a couple of reasons. We'll go over that. But he's making his way down. Um, if you were here last week, uh, Scott Brady was here filling in for me. Um, I hope you enjoyed him. He's got a lot of knowledge about missions. It was a great time to have him here. He didn't focus a ton on Acts 19, I know, but he talked about being a church that sends, which you are, as you send us to Maryland, as we have missionaries that we send uh, throughout the globe, as we are connected to international churches. And uh, Scott was kind of just talking about some of those things. And uh, Acts 19 was a focus on the city of Ephesus where there was a riot that was happening. That's why Acts 20 verse 1 starts this way. Uh, if, I won't read the whole thing as typical. If you have your Bibles in front of you, you can follow along in that way. But it says, when the uproar had ended, they're talking about the uproar that had taken place in Ephesus. Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. So Paul was leaving to go more towards the, the Greece way and continue on his journey. Now, following verse 1 of chapter 20, you get to hear about his team. Paul did not do this by himself. When we read about all of Acts, there are always people with Paul. Even if we don't always get their names, he has traveling partners. He was doing the exact same thing that Jesus did. When Jesus was talking about him being the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, the, the promised Messiah and teaching uh, the disciples about his kingdom, Matthew 5 through 7 was a piece of that, but his whole life was doing that. They lived together. They did life together. Paul's doing that same thing. You got a list of those guys in chapter 20, verse 2 through 3, and 4, 5, and 6. We pick things up back at verse 7, but you can see that ministry is about doing things together. Um, when I take my international trips, I never go by myself. I try and use it as an opportunity uh, to expose people to what God's up to all over the planet and just to use it as discipleship opportunities. When we went to Maryland, there was a group of us going. That's why we have stuff called life groups here. We, we try and make sure that life with Jesus isn't a service on a Sunday and that's it. There's lots of opportunities to grow as a disciple. It does not happen by yourself. 
The scriptures are clear about that. That's why the church exists, because this growth in what it means to be Jesus happens together. That's why the church is the body of Christ. Jesus isn't physically present here, but he kind of is because the body of Christ exists on earth. It's called the church. So that list is just telling us Paul's simply doing what Jesus did. He's got a group of people with him traveling around, planting churches, making disciples, leaving many of these people as leaders in the churches. That's important to remember. None of these guys went to seminary and got ordained as pastors or something. All the people that we read about, men and women, are people that heard Paul tell the gospel and said, yes, I want to follow this Jesus. Now, how do we do that? That's important for us to remember as, as a church and as leaders in a church. And that'll come up again in a minute. Acts chapter 20, after we get the team that's with Paul, that he's taken around with him, verse 7 um, through 12, is talking about, um, is really just paralleling something that Peter did in bringing somebody back to life, Jesus did in bringing somebody back to life, and the imagery that we get in this passage is something that Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet, that he did in bringing somebody back to life. And it had to do with a time of the church gathering together, kind of like this. It says, on the first day of the week, we, a group of us, the church, came together in the town that he was in, Miletus, uh, and they broke bread, which means they probably celebrated the Lord's Supper together. And there Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he planned on, on pushing on, he kept talking until midnight. He kept talking until midnight. Some of you are smirking out there, because you know why I put this in here. Not only that, there was a guy in a window, like, they didn't have pews and stuff like that to sit in. So they were sitting wherever they could, and there was a guy named Eutychus in a window. And as Paul was talking and sharing, he fell asleep. He fell into such a deep sleep that he fell out of that window and fell to the ground and died. That's why I don't let any of you sit in the windows. I don't want that to happen. I don't know if... Paul, if I could do what Paul did, I'd give it my best shot, but I'm not taking any chances. He fell out of the window, and he died. Now, he fell, out, he fell out. If you're in your Bible, I don't have it on the screen. It says, seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Now, there's no space in the Greek there. I'm just adding that for effect. Paul talked on and on. And some of you are like, Ted talks on and on. But I love this passage because it makes me think it's in the Bible. I must be allowed to do it. Paul did it. I can do it. Paul talked on and on. But God had a purpose for that. Uh, as I said, he fell out of the window. Anybody want to reenact? See how it goes? No? No takers? All right. Then we'll keep going. Falls out of the window. He dies. Paul goes down, lays on top of him, brings him back to life. If there was any question about whether this message Paul was preaching about this Jesus was true or not, the church here once again witnessed there's something about this Jesus that brings life. Now that was in a very physical, literal way. But what Paul is going to tell these leaders 
You have the ability to do that too through the message that you tell. This gospel brings life. That's why even when we gather together on Friday, we gather together because of a death, but that's not why we were together. We were celebrating the fact that God brings life. And Bernice is simply waiting for the rest of us to experience that new life as well with our Savior. Paul tells these leaders, this is what you're all about, so much so that they just watched this dude fall out of the window and die, and he's alive again. So Paul is down in Miletus, but he calls the leaders from Ephesus to come down. So it'd be like Paul's in Philadelphia, and he calls everybody from the Schuylkill district to come down, the leaders from the church, so me and the ministry council, the commission directors, and some of the other leaders from church, maybe some of the life group leaders, and maybe some of the connection group leaders, and Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders. We all go down to Paul because he wants to address us. He doesn't come to our town, but he goes down to Philadelphia because he's trying to make it to Jerusalem uh, in a short manner of time. And in, in Paul's day, if he went to Ephesus, everybody would invite him to his house because there was something about hospitality that these people just wanted to show Paul. And in fact, it's actually something that just defines who the church is. When we were down in Maryland area, we went into D.C. and we went to the Bible Museum, which was... I thought extremely amazing. If you go to the Bible Museum, just plan to be there all day. We did not have enough time to be there. You can spend all day there. One of the things that we did was walk through like a Nazareth village, like where Jesus lived, and they would have stuff that you would see in Jesus's village. And one of the placards, I took a picture of it, was about hospitality and the importance of hospitality and how the Jews viewed hospitality as really revealing the heart of God to people. And we got to experience that in Maryland when uh, people opened up their homes to us for showers. Uh, we usually couldn't go there till like 9.30 at night or something like that when VBS was over. It was late. So if they went to bed early, they stayed up. In one house, we had six people there using their water, taking showers, and they entertained us, and they just went out of their way to show hospitality. There's something that unites people, that God uses that to really help us know him better and really bond in a way that not everybody bonds in. Those people are brothers and sisters now, and I know there's a, a bond that happened that doesn't happen in other ways. Paul knew this, so he said, I'm not going to Ephesus, I'm going to Miletus, but I'll call all of you down. And that's what happened. Now, verse 18 begins the little speech that Paul gives to these church leaders. So it's like all of us get in our car and we drive down to Philly because Paul's there and he wants to tell us something. Not just the licensed pastors are going down. There weren't any. It's the church leaders that are going down. You know, this is exactly how the church worked for at least EC history, Evangelical Congregational Church. That's the denomination we're a part of. Jacob Albright rides in the town, plants a church in a little town called Schuylkill Haven. Guess what? He's going to get back on his horse, and he's going to ride down to Reamstown. That's where I grew up, and he's going to plant a church there. So my title as the pastor is not really pastor. My title in our denomination is called itinerant elder. Itinerant meaning traveling, an elder meaning leader in the church. It's not pastor. 
In fact, the people who would have been leading Grace Church when Jacob Albright left would have been people like you sitting in this room. Jacob would have said, okay, who has the identifying characteristics that Paul describes in all the letters of a church leader? You can read about all those. It's not a mystery. It's pretty obvious. And I'm going to put those folks in charge. At one time in our history, it was called class leader. And the class leaders at the church I grew up in, some of them were farmers, some of them were truck drivers, uh, some of them were business owner, owners, some of them worked at a grocery store. They were the ones leading the church. Yeah, we had a pastor. But all of you are part of this group that Paul's talking about. Specifically, if you are sitting on a ministry council, our leadership at this church. What Paul's saying isn't just for the Ted's and the Davids who are licensed and going to be licensed pastors. He's talking to all of us as church leaders. And therefore, you should expect this out of your church leaders. If you're not in leadership in the church, these are expectations you ought to have for us as church leaders. So Paul gets everybody down to his town. We all drive down to Philadelphia. And now Paul says this to us as church leaders. You know how to live the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. He's talking now when I, when I came to Ephesus. He said, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. He had a lot of enemies when he went to town. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. It's clear that Paul decided to do life with them. He said in verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Now, why would he include with tears? I think that's included in this passage. It's going to come up again with tears. And at the end of the passage, it's going to talk about how this whole group was together and they just started crying and weeping when Paul had to leave. It's conveying this sense of intimacy. It wasn't like Paul was this superstar, and he came in and preached, and then he went to his own little house, and he was by himself, and, ooh, nobody can get close to Paul. He's too big. He's the best missionary that we know, and he's some kind of megastar. The passage is actually portraying the fact that Paul did life with all of us, with all of them. You know, I don't know if when Paul was in Ephesus, somebody's mom or dad passed away and Paul had to go and encourage them. I'm not sure if some kind of tragedy took place and Paul had to be there with them. A child was born and they got to celebrate together. Paul was there with them. It's clear that Paul did life with them. It wasn't just about going to this place, preaching the gospel, going to the next town, doing the same thing and being some kind of mega superstar. The scriptures paint a very different picture for us of what church leadership looks like. Paul simply telling them, the example that I was in your town, in your city, when I came to your house, and we ate together, when I showed up at your house and we had coffee that morning, that's the same thing you're supposed to do. Church leaders. It's about service. Paul is making clear that this thing we call church is about doing life together. In verse 21, he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks 
that they, may, that they must turn to God in repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul's whole point was to teach them about Jesus. So he would take the Old Testament scriptures that they had. By this time, the Gospels were probably circulating around. They were getting these teachings of Jesus, and they would go to the church, and they would, they would teach them about the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were hearing those stories that you and I hear. Paul was doing that with Jews. He was doing that with Greeks. That means everybody else. And he did it from house to house. He went into your home, and he didn't mince words. He's saying, I spoke the truth in love. What God had to say to all of us, I said it to you. And you know what my whole goal was throughout this entire ministry and this mission that I'm on, traveling the world? It's pretty simple. Actually, it hasn't changed. It's the same one that we're on. Calling people to repentance and faith in Christ. It is that simple. Now, I know we have a lot of programs. We do a lot of different church events. We do community events. We're doing the blind. We're doing all kinds of things that we're using as a vehicle for us to be able to do this. We are calling people to repentance and faith in Christ. Don't be afraid to tell people that that's what has to happen. We have lived in rebellion to God Doing our own thing, walking our own ways in repentance simply means turning from our own self-focused life and turning to, into, turning to Christ and living the way he has called us to live. And Paul's going to tell these church leaders what that looks like. Now that's not the job of just Ted or David or any other pastor of the church. He is talking to church leaders. When you leave Philadelphia and you go back to Schuylkill Haven or whatever town you're from and you go and serve at your church, we're supposed to be calling people to repentance and faith. This is just what we exist for because we know it's through repentance and faith that people find life. And so Paul gives us, as church leaders, if you are on ministry council, then you need to listen very closely. Um, if you serve as a life group leader, a connection group leader, a Sunday school teacher, a Bible study teacher, then you need to listen closely. I'd say if you serve uh, in a job outside the church and you are in management, you are a leader of some kind, this applies to you because people are going to see this in your life. But specifically, Paul is talking to what people ought to experience in the church. And the number one thing ought to be pretty obvious to us, and that's to serve with humility. In fact, Paul goes on to say, I didn't even ask you for anything. So Paul, when he went to Ephesus, nobody gave him a paycheck. He actually worked as a tent maker just so that nobody would have to give him anything, and he served beside them, alongside them. He was simply trying to be that example of humility. He was trying to show them that he's going to put other people before himself. If you do not have humility, if you're not a humble person, you have no business being in church leadership. When I was going through seminary, the, the phrase that kept on getting drilled into our head was called servant leadership. Leadership is not about power. It's not about telling people what to do. It's not about being in charge. 
It's not about being famous and having as many followers as I can on Facebook or on my YouTube page or creating a podcast. It's about serving people. When we do pastoral assessment center, if you sense God calling you in to ministry in which you are leading a church somewhere, we have these qualities that we have to see. We're taking them right out of scripture. The number one knockout quality, if you do not have this, you have no business being in church leadership, is teachability and humility. That's what Paul is telling these leaders. Paul is telling us, ministry council, leadership team, commission directors, those leading any kind of ministry at the church, we are to put other people before ourselves, As Jesus himself did, I did not come to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. As Paul himself did in Ephesus, when he walked alongside them, when he worked with them, as you and I are called to do as well. Ministry, doing ministry, the word ministry simply means service. That's all it means. All of us are supposed to be doing that, serving each other. And Paul is specifically talking to church leaders. If you want to see a difference in your church in the quality of leadership and the unity of the body, then you need to be teachable and humble. Paul said, I did that in front of all you. Now, when you go back to your town, you do it with everyone else as well. Because ministry is about service with other people. And he says to them, I, I taught you the things of God, even those unpopular things. Even those things that are hard to hear, I taught those to you. I didn't pick and choose out of, well, he didn't have the Bible like we have, so I'll use it in our context. I don't pick and choose what we say out of this. We teach the whole thing. And as leaders, we can't be ashamed of what it has to say. And sometimes we have to address brothers and sisters that are walking away from the Lord. Dress brothers and sisters that are not following Jesus. Paul said, that's what I did. And church leaders, you need to do that as well. Maybe it's believing something that the rest of the world sees as ridiculous, unpopular. Maybe speaking the truth in love looks different than affirming whatever anybody feels or thinks. That can be unpopular. It's not easy to do when all of your friends around you think the exact opposite of you. When I was doing catechetical class, that's the cat class with the kids who joined church, and asked them, how many of your friends go to church on a regular basis? A number of them said, none, really. These are 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids. Not a single one of their friend group goes to any church. You see how important it is to instill the things of God from little on up to older. John DeWitt leads a life group on a Tuesday morning with, let's just call them our seasoned saints. They're well-seasoned as saints of Jesus, and they still got things to learn, and there's still things that they need to hear. As leaders in the church, if you are leading something, this is what we're supposed to do. We have got to take this serious and live it out. One of the qualifications to be a leader in the church is that you can be example to others. And I am grateful that at Grace Church we have those examples. 
And maybe God's calling you to be in leadership in the church. The leaders that we have now, they're not going to be there forever. I'm not going to call anybody out, but there are some older people on our council. So who's coming after them? Who's leading following them? When I got here, we had a couple of key leaders that passed. Uh, Reese Umpenhauer was a leader before I got here. Selby Potts was a leader before I, I got here. They passed, and who's going to fill their spot? This is why Paul calls them down. This is serious business. This is how the church is going to exist and thrive. He says in verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He's making his way to Jerusalem, and every place you go, we read about it in the book of Acts, Paul had some difficulties. He had some hardships simply because he believed in Jesus. Now he's telling these leaders, you might experience those same things. However, he says, thinking about those hardships, those difficulties, those troubles, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now that wasn't just something he spoke, and he did, and he did it a lot. It was something he lived. And for those three-ish years that he spent in Ephesus, it was pretty clear. And even this moment, he left because of this giant riot that was happening, and he actually took a sailboat down to, or some kind of boat, I don't know if it was a sailboat, down to Miletus because there was a plot at the port he was going to go to to kill him. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task of letting other people, like you guys in Ephesus when I was there, experience the same grace that I experienced in Jesus. That's a tough verse to read. How many of us would say that? I consider my life worth nothing. My only goal is so that you would know that Jesus is Lord and to share that with you. That's something I think the American church needs to hear. I read an article or listened to a podcast about the de-churching de of America. Fewer and fewer people go to church on a Sunday. We all know that. That's no surprise. Less and less people actually follow the tenets of the scripture. You know, the stuff that Jesus said we're supposed to do. Holiness is not something that describes the church anymore. The church has become, as one author of the article I read, more like a clown show and a performance on a Sunday than meeting with the God of the universe. In fact, there's fewer and fewer people who feel like coming to church on a Sunday. There's people, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw them in a worship service on a Sunday. There's a lot going on in our lives. Sometimes it is a hardship. Getting up, getting the kids ready, getting out of bed. We can't even do that in America. Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing. He's a wonderful example. You know, maybe you didn't know this. One of the characteristics or qualifications of being a leader at Grace Church, you have to be a regular attender on a Sunday. Seems simple. 
but it doesn't happen in a lot of churches. I've talked with pastors who have leaders on their board because the work of the church, as you're going to see in just a second, is not done by the qualified or at least the licensed pastor. It's done by the leaders. That's who Paul's talking to. And he's like, I haven't seen the, the president of our board in weeks at church. I'm like, what? Are they committed to what you're trying to do? I'm not sure. Paul's talking about every single place I go. And he's talking to a group of people that lived in Ephesus, which was a pagan society, temples all over the place, the largest temple to the goddess Artemis that existed on the planet. Now go back there and tell everybody that God ain't for real. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of letting people know how good God's grace really is. Now, I know that none of you among you I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Paul didn't think he was going to make it back to Ephesus because there was a lot of stuff he was going through. And his journeys were treacherous and everybody's trying to kill him. So he didn't think he'd make it back to Ephesus. That's why he said that. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. He's kind of harkening back to Ezekiel chapter 33. And there's this imagery of the watchman. The watchman's job was to stand at the entrance of the city. And if he saw an invading army or some kind, he would blow the trumpet or sound the bell or whatever. And he'd warn the rest of Israel, the enemy's coming. If he did that, and they didn't heed the warning, their blood was not on his head. He did his job, he did what he was supposed to do, and they didn't heed the warning. Paul is telling these church leaders, I did my job in Ephesus. Now it's up to you to heed the warning that I've given you. That's what we're called to do as church leaders. Our job as church leaders is to teach the things of God to the body of Christ. Paul says, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. He didn't leave anything out, even the tough stuff that not everybody wanted to hear. Now he says this to all the church leaders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is God's thing. When, when we are looking for leadership in the church, it's something we pray about. It's something we talk about. It's something you as the body approve. And it's something we say, do they possess these character qualities that the scriptures are telling us? If the answer is yes to all that, it says, Paul says, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us overseers. We are together. Ted's not just the shepherd of this flock. Actually, we are the shepherd of the flock together. The flock that was bought with by Jesus' own blood. God which bought you with his own blood. I know that after I leave, Paul's giving us a warning here, what's going to happen in the church? Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day 
again with tears. And then they all get together in a circle and hug each other, and they start praying, and it says in verse um, 32 at the end, Now I commit to you, to God, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And in verse 37, they all wept together and prayed. This was somebody they loved, because it was clear that he loved them. As leaders in the church, we're all called to love others more than ourselves. To have this discipling relationship, it's not just something Ted, the licensed pastor, is supposed to do, or David is supposed to do, called into pastoral ministry. It's something that we do together. I am unqualified to do it for all of you. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the gifts. I can't do this myself. And so we have a leadership team, and praise God that we do. So both David and I can leave for a week, and I can rest assured that things are good here because of the leaders that are a part of this church. But our job as a group of people, when we leave Philly and Paul's done addressing us and we come back to town, is to call people to repentance and faith. It's not popular to tell people that their sin is worthy of God's judgment. And their rebellion to God deserves hell. That is not popular, but it's in fact what repentance is talking about. Turning from that to God's goodness. Well, how do I earn it? You can't. Just put your faith in Jesus who paid the price for you. That's the mission that Paul is on. It's the same mission we've got. We, you and me, church leaders, people at this church, we are calling people to repentance. Maybe we do it in different ways. Maybe we use different vehicles to get to the same destination, but we are still doing the same thing, calling people to repentance and faith in Christ so that they might experience new life in him and doing that in a way in which we are providing for protecting, caring for, guiding, guarding. Think about what a shepherd would do. Think about all the imagery that there is in the Bible about shepherds and what we do. We do that together as church leaders. We lead by example. When we were at our mission trip, as I said, we'll talk about that next week, but uh, when we were there, we were doing a sports camp. So I was a part of the group that was signed up to do soccer. And... Uh, we had a young lady that was like 12 or 13 all the way down to a young man that was about five years old. And so we had to figure out how to do something for that span of an age group. And so we didn't just tell him what to do. Chuck was with me for that one, Springer, and Nick Wisner was with me, and Olivia was there. And we were trying to minister to these kids. There was one little girl that I wanted, signed up for soccer but had, didn't want to have anything to do with soccer. So there's a playground over there, so we sicked Olivia on her, and so Olivia got to spend the whole week with um, her, Brooke, who came from a, a pretty messed up home and got to love on her. But Nick and Chuck and I uh, tried to lead by example. So when we did drills, passing, dribbling, learning how to trap, taking a jog around the field, stretching, I got to see how inflexible these old men were with all these kids. I'm a little sore even today. We did it with them. 
We tried to lead by example. This is how you do it. When I looked over at basketball camp, it was just in the parking lot over there. Fran was over there. Frank was over there. And I saw them going back and forth passing. They were leading by example, showing these kids this is how it's done. But you know, ministry is the same way. We lead by example. We serve each other. People ought to see in Ted's life what service looks like. And if you're a ministry council member in here, people ought to see in your life what service looks like. We're here to serve other people. Our position of leadership is actually one of service, different from the world's. We call that person manager, and I have to respect them because of the title. People respect us because look how we've served them. We do that together, and it's something that the watching world desperately needs. It's something that the church in America desperately needs. Our kids are going off to places like college, going into public education, and none of their friends go to church. And we're asking them to live for Jesus. And so we try and create space and opportunity for them to come together and go on a mission trip and see what it looks like to serve other people. You get nothing out of return except really tired. You go to bed at midnight and you wake up at 645 or whenever we kick the air mattress to try and get you out of bed because you won't wake up. And it was all simply to serve people we'd never met and maybe we'll never meet again. And Paul says, hey, when you guys go back home, after he gives his little speech in Philadelphia, you leaders, it's not just pastors there. It's us as leaders. This is what he's called us to do. This book of Acts is all about the church. And I'm so glad this passage is included in the book of Acts, talking about the growth of the church, the spread of the church. Because this does not happen without us doing it together. And so one day you might have to serve as a leader at this church. My prayer is that you are seeking to serve as an example at Grace Church. And you know what? The reality is sometimes there's some hardships that we've got to ask ourselves. Are we willing to endure that because it's worth somebody else hearing about Jesus or seeing Jesus in my life. I read an article this past week, listened to a podcast, maybe you've heard if you are familiar with Chuck Colson's organization, um, the Colson Center, and they do something called Breakpoint. They shared this. The suicide rate in 2022 was as high, and I can't remember if they said higher than, but it was as high as the suicide rate in the early 1940s. In the, in the 1930s. Now, something big happened in 1929 in the United States of America that might cause you to end your life. We call it the Great Depression. And then, of course, things were happening throughout the world, and before you knew it, the entire world was at war. And 17-year-old kids were leaving home and family. And they were going to an island they never heard of and dying on it. So think about life then. Some of you, I don't know if you've served in World War II. I think most of our vets have passed. 
from World War II. But think about life then. Now think about 2023, 2022. The suicide rate is just as high. We are more affluent in this country than the world has ever seen. We have more opportunity. There's been longer peace, prosperity, and the suicide rate is just as high. There is a mission for this church in the United States of America, for God's church. It is so clear. It is so obvious. And it's as easy as going beside that person, putting your arm around them, and starting to walk with them. And it only happens when we tell them they need to repent of their sin and turn to Christ. It seems so simple, but it's really hard to do. That's the mission we're on. Paul sends these folks back to Ephesus. Now you go do it. You watched me, now it's your turn. My goal at this church is that 10 years from now, that'll be obvious. The leaders that are a part of this church, someone has watched you, you've put your arm around somebody else, and now they're ready to do the same thing that you did. And there's something very clear that defines who Grace Church is. They loved like Jesus loved. Love like that is compelling. Draws people to Christ. That kind of love will change our community. But it means we're willing to serve and sacrifice for him. So this message is for everybody, but if you are a leader at this church, this message is for you as well. That's who we are called to be, to serve the Lord because it's worth it. And we get to see some amazing things and hear some amazing stories of people's lives that are changed when they put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I am, as I just said, so grateful and thankful for this passage and what Paul tells leaders. Leaders like me, leaders like the folks here at this church, and if you're not a leader, the expectations you ought to have from church leadership. And God, this ought to be a, a privilege and a pleasure of ours to serve. Maybe it doesn't always feel that way, but God, ultimately, we're willing to endure and maybe suffer some of those hardships because we know ultimately we're going to get to see people's lives changed by the grace of Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel. And what a joy it is to see that one person repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus. So God, I pray that our service here as leaders in this church might be one of joy, might be one of pleasure because we love seeing what's going on. And God, I pray that even now as we shared, I shared this message, that you would be stirring in some people's hearts, that maybe you're calling them to serve in some leadership role here at Grace Church. This ministry doesn't work without them. And so God, I pray that you would stir in hearts. Convict us to be willing to serve. Convict us to be committed to you and worship and giving and all that you've called us to do, Lord God, here, so that we might see our community changed for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.